Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another edition of the Retro Disney World Podcast. I'm your host, Todd McCartney. And tonight, this is episode 33.35, Looking Back at Tomorrow. We're going to take you through some of the Epcot 35 events, as well as the event that we put on at the Living Seas Salon just a few days ago. Uh, sitting in with me always is Mr. J.T. Kuzier. How are you doing tonight, J.T.? Doing good. Uh, feeling good after our weekend. Just finally back in the swing of things, I feel like, on Thursday. Yeah, it's, it's t- taken me a couple days after the family trip. I was exhausted, so it's a lot all at once. Uh, our local boy, uh, Mr. Hal Bowers, how you doing? You didn't have much. You, you, you got home quick the other night, too. Aloha, yes. I'm very fast. No traffic at uh, 1230 at night. <laughs> no, no. It's pleasantly, pleasantly empty. There we go. And as always, from the city of brotherly love, Mr. Brian P. Miles. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Greetings and salutations from Pennsylvania, the Keystone State. I tell you, Brian, if, if the uh, travel department of Pennsylvania ever needs a voiceover, I can see you on the commercials now. We can only hope. That's right. So... Well, as we said at the beginning of the show here, we're going to take you back, uh, looking back at tomorrow, and um, we really got three things to talk about tonight. One is our event that we put on the Living Sea Salon uh, on September 30th, and also we're going to talk a little bit about the D23 event uh, that was held on October 1st uh, in Epcot Center, and we're also going to talk about the Progressive Dinner uh, that was also held on October 1st. Uh, The four of us were lucky enough to be able to get tickets for that. And um, we had a, a wonderful time, and we've got a lot of really, really neat information that we found out from, from that specific event. However, we're going to start off with our event, and um, with that said, I'm going to let uh, Hope Alexander Willis start the show. Try to imagine, just for a moment, that somewhere in the endless reaches of a state on the outer edge of a county of 500,000 people, deep within a cluster of slowly growing trees, a track of land of just the right size lies just the right distance from its mother star. Try to imagine. Now as Sphere's creation begins, as countless engineers raise panels into a sky of dreams, and then that Sphere waits, and waits, and waits, until finally crowds travel from afar and descend upon that land, and they came, and came, and came the deluge, 
a deluge of such magnitude that the world's greatest minds flowing together for years would only just begin to approach its lasting impressions. For when it was finally silenced, imaginations were inspired and dreams had been born. Try to imagine, just for a moment, a place of inspiration and imagination, a place of adventure, awareness and discovery, a place that foresees a future of progress, hope and human achievement. Try to imagine Retro WDW welcomes you now to take the first steps back to that future. We welcome you to the living seas. We welcome you to looking back at tomorrow. All right, guys. Pretty interesting opening. Let's tell our listeners who that is. Um, for our listeners that weren't there that night, you might recognize the voice. Um, as I mentioned, that's Hope Alexander Willis. And uh, you may recognize her voice from things such as the new WKRP in Cincinnati. She was on that uh, television show. She was also in The Princess Diaries 1 and 2. Uh, and she did a lot of other uh, cameo roles, if you could say, or, or small roles in a lot of different um, uh, television shows. Uh, but more importantly, she was the voice that welcomed you into Seabase Alpha in the Seas film back in 1986 when that opened. Um, we got in touch with her, and she, she very graciously agreed to record uh, the opening that we had uh, penned. And uh, we tried to really simulate a, a little bit of what it was like going into the Seas Pavilion. And um, I think if you, if you go to our website and also in the show notes here, we'll have a link to the opening film. So for those of uh, you that were at the, uh, the, the event, you not only heard her voice, but you saw a film that accompanied, to it, accompanied it. And uh, I think it came out really, really well. Um, sad part is that, I mean, she, could, she couldn't be with us, but the amazing part, I guess, and, and also sad, is that she never got to see the film that she narrated in Epcot. To this day, she has never visited Epcot Center, and she was so so pinnacle in, in actually, you know, in in that film. Actually, Todd, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I've heard interviews with other personalities from other attractions, uh, and you'd be shocked how many of them never made it down to actually see themselves or their role in in their in the attractions while they were running at the parks. That's really it's really interesting, and and. She gave us a little hint of how, how they put it all together, too. She was actually, she flew out to um, Skywalker Ranch is where this was all recorded. Uh, was it, was it, it was still in, was it Industrial Light and Magic back then in 86? Had that been formed? I don't, I don't recall. We'll have to look that up. So Skywalker Sound was a separate entity and has been for a long time. Oh. So the, so the sound part of it was separate from the special effects part of it. All owned gotcha. by George Lucas, but all separate divisions. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Um, so it was it was great to have uh, Hope on there and uh, really, really appreciate her being able to lend her voice. Um, I think it gave a great open to it. I know a lot of people were kind of laughing and, and smiling and really remembering what it was like and how you did a great job on the, the trace of the Living Seas Pavilion at the very oh, end. thank yes. you. Yes. <laughs> it was very like Escape from New York, you know, that green outline of Manhattan. That's what it reminded <laughs> me of. It was really cool. 
Um, I want to add though too, I kind of positioned myself when it started. I wanted to see this because this is what was it for me like going in there. I just was standing kind of like by the entryway, you know, saying hi to people as people walked in. And I thought it was so cool watching people like just have that, you know, deer in the headlights. Like I need to see this place look as they came in. It was pretty cool watching everybody sort of funnel. Yeah. And then I, I also saw the, we'll say, the green room where everybody was forced to wait down there in that crowded area, which will upload these pictures and that. It was so packed. So, you know, definitely kudos to them for crowding into that little room. And there was just this little Disney lady with the little, uh, you know, light up wand <laughs> holding them back. It was pretty funny. I was like, oh, my gosh, we got to start this. We're getting restless. Yeah, so we, we did start on time. And you're, you're exactly right, JT. They were, they, they, everybody poured in. If you haven't been to the Sea Salon, when you walk in, you really can't see the room. You have to go around this large um, lit display that says the Living Seas. And as they came around, um, their eyes feasted on what I know Brian and I had been working on and looking forward to. And it was the cake, right, Brian? There was a lot of pastry anticipation. <laughs> I think the uh, pastry chefs did a great job in, in reproducing color with spot. I couldn't believe the amount of decorations on the side of the cake, the little Mickey's and the, the swag, you know, really, well, they, really they, cl- they clearly had fun with it. Uh, we had some back and forth with them about adjustments they were going to make to it. Um, and Todd and I were asked for permission to change the castle that was on the original cake to, uh, to the spaceship earth that they put on the final cake uh, for us. But what the cool thing was, was being up there for an hour beforehand setting up, the anticipation on the staff, Mm. uh, the Disney staff, excited to see the cake. Uh, Because they hadn't seen it yet. They're like, we really want to see what this cake looked like. And and when they wheeled it out, and it was on the bottom shelf of this cart, uh, I said to them... uh, I don't know how they're going to get it off the bottom of the cart up onto the table. <laughs> but I also knew I didn't want to watch. So I went into the other room while they, while they moved the cake up onto the table. Oh, man. Yeah, it was it was really, really neat cake. Well, and- so we'll recap the cake. The yep. cake was, as we expected, fantastic. It was the paparazzi star of the night. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people were oh, flashing sure. pictures with it and taking pictures of it. And we had eating and Facebooking and Instagramming. We had to give a warning too. Hey, it's going back to be cut. Take your last photos <laughs> now and more people pour it there over. There was a swarm of people over there. And <laughs> it, it took them an extra 10 minutes to be able to take the cake away. But when they finally sliced it and brought it out, it was delicious. It was oh, a it was very good cake. Really? really I, we got a lot of compliments on it. And, um, uh, even one person came up to say, I only had one pretzel, but I had four pieces of cake. <laughs> <what> <laughs> said. <laughs> so pr- hats off to the pastry department. Awesome. Yeah, awesome and, job. and they should know that uh, that a couple of people asked us who did the cake. Future World has its own pastry chef uh, for the pavilions. And that's the person who did that cake. Yep. So. Yep. It was it was it was it was awesome. So we also had um, as we got into the beginning um how and, and Brian, we, we talked about, I think it was you, How talked about the drinks and the beverages and the food. Um, and it turns out, how that your custom, three custom created beverages were the top sellers all night of any beverage. So I, I never struck doubted a, it. I think we struck a chord with our listeners. And yeah, their well, who beverages. doesn't like, who doesn't like a good cocktail? That's right. So, and, and yeah, I think, so we sold, uh, I, I think the top seller was the hydrolator number two correct out of, yes. out of all of them so and that makes me feel good i'm glad every, yeah. i hope everyone enjoyed them uh, one of the things that we will do uh todd i'm going to give you the recipes to tweet out and to include 
with the show notes here so that way people oh, can fantastic. make them at home yep. um, they are not very complicated if Disney can get the ingredients I know uh, our listeners certainly can because uh, Disney isn't super aggressive about what kinds of things they get to use uh, by design right. so I we, we should say they were great to work with putting those custom drinks together and we really appreciate the fans enthusiasm for them I and mean, when there was over a hundred of them sold so yeah yeah really really great so I'm glad everybody got to enjoy those and the pretzels oh boy 20 minutes the pretzels were gone <laughs> We actually they, had they, to approve They called more. for reinforcements. Exactly. Uh, Mr. Mr. Miles, we need more pretzels. <laughs> I said, order them. Bring them. I had Damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. They they pulled me over to the side and said, we, we, we got to have you have to sign this paper so we can bring out more pretzels. I'm like, OK, all right, all right. I'll just sign the paper. Bring, bring them out. We don't care. We want people happy. <laughs> so. Uh, so, yeah, everybody enjoyed the pretzels. And, um, and talking oh, about wait a minute, but it wasn't just the pretzels. There were three mustards, right? There was a trio a tr- of mustards. A trio of mustards, yes. Which I completely missed. but <laughs> <laughs> I missed them, too. Yeah. I didn't hear about it till after. We're going to have our own private it. event with just the four of us, I think. <laughs> and some mustard. <laughs> and some mustard. Um, Brian, you mentioned the Disney staff, you know, anticipating the cake. Um, I spoke to a lot of them, and uh, they had said that in the... In the um, What's the name of the group we were working with? Disney Events Group? Uh, yeah, okay. In the Disney Events Group, they had really been anticipating this event because they were looking forward to seeing it. They were looking forward to the, the, the history of Epcot, and it's something they were they were all excited about. Um, in fact, I think everybody was so excited to be there, we couldn't get the crowd to calm down a little bit and <laughs> quiet down as we were trying to talk. Well, so let's set the scene for everybody uh, to recap. Uh, So the event we had originally announced uh, that Disney legend Tom Nabby would be there to share with us his stories of uh, working uh, with the folks who built Epcot. Uh, And he, of course, we mentioned that he provided uh, all of the everything that went into Epcot, every showpiece, every uh, table, chair, carpet, anything that came into Epcot Center while they were building it came through his warehouse, over $350 million of unique items. Uh, and, and Tom always has fascinating stories about that aspect of, of the construction and the job. So we knew our fans were in for a treat uh, to, to meet Tom. And then we added Corinne Cook-Gooley, who was the uh, portrayed one of the, both an animatronic and a live actress in the Horizons attraction. And it's the first time Corinne's ever done a Disney event anywhere uh, looking back at her at her role in in Epcot or in any in any attraction, uh, a last minute addition that no one knew about mm-hmm. until they came into the room that night was another Disney legend, and that was Imagineer Bob Gurr, who Hal did a fantastic introduction of that night uh, when when Bob addressed the crowd and told us the story of how he helped secure General Motors as the first sponsor of an Epcot pavilion, uh, and. So people walked into the room and, you know, I don't think they were expecting for Tom Nabby to just be there kind of hanging out and, and greeting them as they came in. And then the realization is all of a sudden there was this kerfuffle down in the one corner of the room as people realized Bob Gurr is here. Right. And he's just standing here taking pictures and talking to people. Uh, and so when we started the event, both of those guys were to our left uh, on the left-hand side of the room from where our podium was. And, you know, you couldn't get 
I mean, the crowd wasn't going to quiet down because there was a crowd around Tom Nabby and a crowd around Bob Gurr. Uh, and the only time they quiet down is they all quiet down to watch the introductory video. Mm -hmm. And the crowd around Bob Gurr immediately got, uh, you know, as soon as Hope Alexander Willis's narration shifted from the opening lines that we wrote, which were identical to the Living Seas opening lines, to the ones customized for our intro, they started to laugh. And then, and then as they realized the different pieces coming from her, the things she was saying, what they were looking at on the screen, uh, you know, that was the group around Bob Gurr was the ones that, I mean, they really picked up on it right away. Yeah. Bob Gurr was laughing too. I mean, they, you know, they all got it. There was, there was a, the entire group let out this, oh, when they saw Horizons, that the montage being of the, destroyed, being yeah. destroyed, yeah, some there was some, somebody, somebody yelled too soon, and I'm like, it's 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, if you want to see that opening film, we've we've got it in the show notes and, and on our website now. Um, but yeah, people were definitely definitely excited. So after that, you know, as we're talking about, people came in and they saw Bob and they saw Tom, and and we um, the first thing that we started off with with that before we explained, you know everything is going on we got interrupted we got interrupted jt who interrupted us goofy <laughs> not just any not goofy, just any so. yeah not just any goofy viking goofy showed up which i was surprised at the time were any of you surprised or was he right on cue when you played i it? told them that the approximate time we'd like and and i said if he wants to just bust out and be goofy and interrupt us you're more than welcome and i i think brian you were about to say Oh, okay. I think we'll tell everybody who it is. Well, I did. I had announced who it was, but we weren't more than a minute or two after that. Yeah. Uh, and and Goofy came bursting in as we were doing part of our introductions. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which was part of the schedule. I mean, because we needed to accommodate almost 200 people, we had two sessions with him of 30 minutes each. So and, and he had a break in between. So uh, he needed to get started. And uh, honestly. How great was the Viking go Goofy oh, meet and greet? It, it, it was it was fantastic, and and not only did we have it in a separate room, they brought a background in. We had our private photographer there, so it was it, it was it was fantastic. For, for those of you listening, we, we'll we'll have the photos available soon for you. Um, we we will, yeah. But, but uh, you know, for the background on the character, at one point, uh, the World Showcase pavilions all had a traditional Disney character: Chip and Dale, Mickey, Minnie, Pluto, etc. Uh, theme to that particular country's pavilion. So there was a Scottish goofy that wore a kilt and had a nice uh, puffy hat and there was Canadian Mountie Mickey. Uh, there was a Japanese kimono uh, mini and, and, and so on and so forth. So Norway had Viking Goofy. And when we were looking for rare characters to incorporate into our event, uh, we had a friend in entertainment suggest that this one might be available for us, and it turned out that it was. And I, I, I mean, the, for the character hunters who were there that night, and we had some of them, the folks who, who try and tick off every variation of characters available, they were thrilled with the choice because uh, th that character had not done meet and greets in many, many years. Right. Uh, so, so it was a real treat for our fans to uh, to be able to get there and the people who attended. And I think we were thrilled to be able to make that happen. And I'll say the uh, the handler, the guy that you know, kind of watched him. There was a couple handlers, but one of them, 
he was a, actually a pretty nice guy. He did tell me, I thought this was interesting, that uh, he'd been with the company 15 years, and he said he'd never seen uh, that that character before. Yeah. So he was he was pretty pumped. He goes, I'm pumped to see this thing myself. And the, the woman, she'd been there for 19 years and hadn't, hadn't, hadn't seen it. So it was pretty <laughs> So we'd done good. So yeah. that, that, no, that, yeah, that, that was a good thing. And our friend uh, of Goofy was very good. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very, very entertaining. Very great pictures. Uh, very animated with the crowd. So. Oh, yeah. Constantly changing pose and, and uh, yeah, and interacting. Um, it really, really. And, and look, now that, that outfit has been combed and preened. It's it's all ready for another round. So maybe, maybe it will appear in Norway soon. <laughs> <laughs> you can thank us. All right. So, um, then we got, we got into interviewing Corrine. And um, how was it? You, you that spoke with her yes yes i I did yeah so i think we learned a little bit how they measured every knuckle every body part they did a face mask all sorts of stuff and um we have a video of all this and we're going to put it together so everybody can can uh, see all the and hear all the questions and things that asked but what are some other highlights about the things she told us about her time uh, yeah so uh so what we thought was interesting is that she uh, initially came in when she did our audition she read <clears throat> against tom fitzgerald who she just assumed was a pa or another actor uh she didn't realize that he was the writer of the show uh, and of course, now he's the president of Walt Disney Imagineering, so times have changed. But uh, she she just thought he was just another regular guy there. She didn't know he was anybody special. Uh, and and when she talked up, I also liked the part where she talked about uh, having a life mask done. So they they did that thing that they often do with people doing special effects, where uh, they basically covered her face with plaster and then left some holes that they could stick straws in. Uh, so she could get air during the three hours that this like wet stuff set up uh, and she told us they actually messed up the first time they did it and they had too much water in the mix so they actually had to do it again for another three hours uh, and she let us know that Tom Fitzgerald actually refused to have this done so someone had, a, had to sculpt him uh, by hand rather than using the life mask as the uh, as the technique to to get the face copy done so uh cannot imagine so it seems so glamorous you know when you're uh like oh it'd be great to be an audio animatronic character but there was there was hours of prep behind that yeah yeah so again we'll have the video up uh, once that's fully edited and ready and um we'll, we'll get that out so you can see the the full the full interview so at that point in the um in the event, I think we did the cake cutting. We announced everybody. We we all yelled "Happy Birthday, Epcot Center," uh, and everybody was was thrilled to yell that. We we sent the cake off for cutting, and Goofy wrapped up his his first set. Um, everybody was stuffed with pretzels and waiting for the cake to come out. But then um, uh, we we bought Tom Nappy out as well. We did, and uh, Tom and I had a chat for the crowd where he shared some stories about uh, losing a spool of cable that they eventually found and all of the unique equipment that they brought in and one of them was for the Grovesner Hotel an unidentified thing that they thought was for Epcot it was misdirected to his department uh, but he talked about just all of the weird things working with Van Romans on all of the the unique uh, cultural items that were placed around World Showcase in each of the countries uh, a lot of stuff there. We talked to Tom for probably about 15 minutes and uh, and then let him go back to his adoring throngs. And when I say there were adoring throngs, not only is, and, and this is true of all of our guests, and, and I should probably say it now, 
Uh, they were so gracious with our with our attendees with their time. Uh, they signed everything they were asked to sign. They took pictures with everyone who wanted a picture. I don't think anybody left that room that night saying, "Oh, I never got a chance to right. meet." You know, one of those. They got they got time with all three of them. We had tables Corinne, set up, and and they didn't even want to go to the tables. They they couldn't. They, they just couldn't. they I mean, just you mingled, know, Nabby yeah. was at a high top by the bar most of the night, and people just came up and spent time with him. Bob Gurr, as I said, held court down in, in his little area uh, off to the side. And then Corinne actually moved around uh, from group to group and spent time with as many guests as she could, almost like the mother of the bride does at a wedding. I mean, she was just moving from, <laughs> from little group to group and, and uh, engaging them in conversation. And because sometimes fans like, you know, fans, look, we're weirdos. We, we have cut lovers and some of us are a little socially awkward and not entirely comfortable and she made them put them totally at ease and went up and approached them and and i really felt like uh we did something that that disney couldn't do at one of their events because there's so many people at their events right, right. uh but but by having the kind of room that we had and, and the kind of event that we had you know we, we talk about these presentations at no time was there really i mean we we had these little talks but it really was more of a party atmosphere uh, where occasionally somebody had the microphone like at a rehearsal dinner or something. Uh, but for the most part, everybody was just kind of hanging out. They had a drink in their hand. They were eating something. They were laughing and enjoying the artifact table that we had there. We all brought stuff from, from our own personal collections and got a lot of compliments on a lot of the rare items that we had out on display. Nobody stole anything. Thank you, fans. Um, you know, and... Uh, and it just really was a party atmosphere reigned supreme. Yeah, yeah. And I, I got to give a shout out to all the young kids that came too. We had some, uh, we had adorable little girl. She could have been any, any older than five or six. She was up with Goofy. And um, we, we had, uh, I believe the girl's name was Ella. She was probably about 12 or 13. A fantastic Epcot fan, um, you know, listens to our podcast. The Miles family was there with their kids and helping us check in uh, and, and helping us with the event. And it was it was really great to see people of all ages. I mean, really, we I think we span from about six years old up into the 90s. It was it was a great, great wide variety of people there that really wanted to hear about old Epcot. And there were a lot of people who followed the instructions and they brought their own figment. That's right. Yeah, we had a couple of figments. (laughs) Great shirts. How you're looking back at tomorrow's shirt. I, I, I forgot to tell you this. So uh, we were there with family that day, as you know, and my son, my wife, and uh, my son's two cousins walked into the turnstiles of Epcot wearing that, and they had the Disney photographer there for PhotoPass, and we're all lining up, and she looks over, she goes, those shirts are awesome, where can I get one? And she was, uh, she was so thrilled, so I had, to, I had to tell her, so hats off to you, Hal, for, for designing the Looking Back at Tomorrow, it definitely even got some cast members looking. We, we saw a lot of Hal Bauer shirts yeah. that night. We saw a Navi Grabber, oh, yeah, there yeah. was a couple of Navi Grabbers, we saw um, we're, we're Doing Water It. Pageant. Yeah, yeah, We're Doing It was there, um, quite, quite, a, quite a number of them, which was, which was great, so um, appreciate everybody. And, and how about the guy with the Figment puppet, come yeah. on. He even had, How great was that? He even had the cast member, uh, you know, a reproduction cast member outfit and holding Figment. And, and, and he's watching and listening to Nabby, and Figment's moving and slightly interacting. Yes. And it wasn't like it just... <laughs> oh, no, it, was, it was alive. It was, uh, it was... Figment was there. Figment was there. Um, so I, I believe at this point in the, in the evening, um, the cake started to roll out, and um, we, we introduced Bob Gurr. And 
uh, at that point I was signing papers for pretzels and other things. So I, I missed a good portion of it. <laughs> but um, Brian, it was you and Howe did the did the talk with with Bob, I believe. I, I let Howard take the lead on that because, as we mentioned, Bob Gurr was a last-minute God-sent addition to our event, and I called Howe at 8.30 the morning of the event and said, guess what? You've got six hours to drive to Orlando and bone up on Bob Gurr and Epcot. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> so I did, and it's actually really funny because Bob Gurr got fired just as Epcot was getting started, so... Uh, so he didn't have, uh, it's funny, he didn't have a, a lot of like actual hands on Epcot stories because he, he left and he started his own company and, and he shared this with us, which was, was really great. He went off and he did a bunch of things in Las Vegas for Steve Wynn, sunk pirate ships and designed Kong for Kongfortation in, in both Orlando and in uh, Hollywood, which was great. Um, the one thing he did tell us that he uh, absolutely did for Epcot was put the, uh, the vice president, who I believe was in charge of the design division. Uh, in uh, he met him at the opening of Art Center College and told him all about Epcot and uh, Disney was pitching the Ford Motor Company previous to that because of their uh, their tie-in with Magic Skyway and uh, Bob Gurr got this guy super excited about Epcot um, and he was actually coincidentally planning to build a Motorama which if, if yeah. you recall the 1964 World's Fair um, the GM had an exhibit there, which was, you know, kind of shadowed by Disney's um, for the Ford Pavilion. Uh, but this person had an idea completely separately from 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 Disney's to, to actually put some sort of giant exhibit uh, in Orlando and, and have a car museum. And so, you know, serendipity sort of played in and uh, it just made sense for them to do it with Disney. So. Uh, Bob went back to Disney and talked to Marty Sklar and said, hey, you need to, you know, send that presentation tool kit out to, to GM, to this guy. And he said, you know, Marty basically tried to rip him a new one because he, they really wanted Ford. But it, it went out and within a couple of days they had started having uh, talks at the business level and uh, there were some neat stories about them meeting at the top of the world hotel uh, at Walt Disney World. And... Uh, yeah, so they were they were the first. I had known that they were the first sponsor to sign on, um, but I did not know uh, what the story was behind that. And and Bob did a great job filling that in. He also told us about the the twenty thousand leagues under the sea subs working on that uh, in the Tampa shipyards. And and he's he's just a great guy. I mean, you, yeah, you hand him a microphone and just kind of get him started. And he, I mean, <laughs> he could just spin a tail uh, for hours, and you could just listen to him talk. He's fantastic. He, he is great. And he, he told my wife, he, he said, I, I like, I forget the drink he like. He said, whatever, alcoholic beverages, because I need to keep hydrated. Was, was, <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely uh, got, a, got a ball. He's a wall of energy. And, and, and Bob, if you're listening, thank you very much for, for coming well, to the we, show. We should also say when we, were, we sat with him uh, for dinner the next night at the D23 Progressive Dinner Evening event. Yes. And when uh, when the D23 staff came over to talk to him, he took time out to tell them what a terrific event we threw and how uh, interesting and well-researched our questions and our back and forth with him was at the event, uh, which I thought was a, an exceptional compliment from him. Yes, that was very, uh, very nice yeah. of him. Yeah. And we're going to get into that event a, a little later, but yeah, that was really, really nice of him to do that. 
So at this point, I think uh, after Bob completed, uh, we went into what we, I guess, actually could call just the, the open mingle where everybody was having cake and uh, Goofy was doing his second set. And so Catching their breath yeah. from all this excitement. <laughs> and the four of us quickly ran in and, and jumped to the front of the line for a quick uh, photo of Goofy. Yes. Everybody was, well, who are these yeah. guys? The handler didn't want to let us in. I'm like, sorry. hey, sorry, we're busting in. Yeah, this is our event. We, yeah. You're, you're going you're gonna to get us. You're going to let us get in there. Um, so that that was neat. We, so we got a great picture of, of the four of us with, with Goofy um, and all of our, our, our matching little shirts and stuff. So that, that looked great. But the photo, the photo, we tweeted the photo out already. I think it, I think it really, really came out awesome. Um, and then about quarter of, we needed to get all everybody back to the screens. Now, this was for the gift reveal. And Brian and I have been... We're pumping. I think we pumped this on a, one of the episodes we did. We've been talking about it. We we tweeted it out that, you know, we were going to try to provide the coolest retro gift that we could possibly even think of. Mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> and before, if, if you haven't, if you if you haven't watched Twitter and you haven't watched Facebook and our website, we're going to tell you in a second what it was. Um, we went through a bunch of iterations and ideas, um, and uh, some of them were. We talked about coasters, and we talked about um, doing some Rubik, 12-sided Rubik's Cubes with the different pavilion logos and all these different things that we've come up with. Um, and as many of you may know, we were already handing out an autographed picture of Tom Nabby, one of his window pins. We gave everybody a link to a, a new film. Um, we had the pictures of Corrine, and, and we also had a, a gift bag. But we needed something else um, to go into that gift bag. Um, we, we were really thinking about something that is truly iconic to the way Epcot was back when it, when it opened and, and in its, its highlight years. And we kept coming back to the fountain in the, begin, in the very front of Spaceship Earth uh, with, the, with the acrylic spires or acrylic prisms, if you will. And we were really unsure if we could pull it off. And I said to Brian one day in a message, I just messaged him, I said, hey, look, let's just ask Disney. Let's not do this behind the back. Let's just ask if we can do it. And um, a couple days later, they came back and they said, yeah, that's that's totally fine as long as you don't put the Epcot logo on it. And my jaw dropped because at this point, um, it was August 9th, I believe, is when they gave us the okay. And we have six weeks to go to try to pull this off. Um, so Brian and I kind of kept this under wraps for a little bit secret because we did not know if it was going to actually be able to materialize um, correctly to the, you know get it there on time um and without going into too much detail uh, i'll tell a little in a little bit here but it was it, it was it was it was close to say the least <laughs> you could you can read the article on our website yeah if you want to know the details of how it was done uh but let's skip all that and mm -hmm. get to the reveal exactly so we made a film that um teased everybody a little bit and had had this nice bit of um dramatic music playing and this is all, all on the website and on the article as well. Uh, dramatic music playing and really focusing on Spaceship Earth. So everybody was kind of going down this path that uh, Spaceship Earth was going to be the gift. And all of a sudden in the film, as you'll see, the, the music changes and the Spaceship Earth that we know from the 80s fades into the Spaceship Earth that we know now with the monoliths out front and the, um, and the fountain missing. And then it goes into this whole thing of you know what was lost and we show pictures of the fountain and then it goes into um you know that it, it will, will rise again and we we never showed the actual fountain model 
um, throughout the whole film. It was all sneak peeks and pictures of the renderings and of the design and the molds and all the parts being assembled in China. Um, and then at the very end, um, we showed a black screen showing that not only was there the, the fountain was the gift, but the fountain also actually also changed color. And I, I remember seeing people looking at each other when they realized it was the fountain and they looked at each other and their jaw dropped. And I, I can't even remember what happened after. I just cannot wait to get the film, <laughs> get, the, get the video back from Art. Um, he told me that he's got Bob Gurr's reaction and said he was just smiling the whole time with a, with a big, big smile. Um, and uh, then we, we had one underneath the podium. We pulled it out showed it to them and brian what did he brian you did the best i think the only thing you could possibly do with that right <laughs> well we, todd was holding it up and the way the lighting is in that salon it, it comes down from overhead so you you either have this like uh close encounters of the third kind beam on on your head or you're in like <laughs> darkness like like batman it's horrible it, it, well it's just it's it's perfect for that room but for our purposes at that point it was difficult to for photographs things like that but so i'm under this beam of light and i just grabbed it out of your hand and held it up and did the lion king hi you know which was a great comedic effect. That's right. Everybody, everybody <laughs> laughed, and we told a little bit about the design, a little about how difficult it was to get it there. It did arrive, thanks to Ashley Suit and also our very own JT for, um, you know, Ashley housed them there for for a day or so as they arrived but just the day before. We, we, we know what it's like to be Oprah Winfrey and give everybody a car. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and JT wasn't wasn't in Florida for more than an hour before he was already en route to pick them up um, on the day of the event. So uh, it was it was a rush schedule. We, we certainly won't try to do that again. We'll have them done uh, ahead of time. So but um, now I know there's there's a million dollar question out there, right, guys? We we gave away fountains to every you know everybody who attended including we gave some to the disney staff they absolutely loved it the d23 staff heard about it and they were thrilled but we've not ceased receiving emails where can i get one how can i get a fountain so everybody listen up this is we do have an opportunity there's a limited number left um um, we have a limited number of, of fountains left um, that were left over from the event, and we are opening up uh, something on our website with DonorBox. And essentially, this is a, a way that you can donate to uh, Retro WDW so that we can continue to produce this podcast, purchase films, do the restoration. Um, we, through this event, we also made some connections that can possibly bring us some incredible films that no one has seen in in 20 some plus years we should probably also say as we're making this pitch and it is for donations these are gifts for in return for donations we're not selling this stuff correct uh but our tickets after we add bob Gurr and after we add the fountains and after we added everything else that we weren't originally planning on doing our tickets were probably about ten dollars a ticket too cheap Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what you're doing is helping to defray the cost of, of the event and make it possible not only for us to continue, but for us to do future cool events, right. which we'll talk about before the end of the night. Exactly. So we do have, if you go right to retrowww.com on the right hand side, you'll see donor box. If you click that link, it will take you to donor box and it will show the various donation amounts that you can make. Um, there's a wide range and there's also certain gifts 
um, that you will receive for making that donation to us. And um, the, the Epcot Center Fountain is, is appropriate at the $82 level for the year that Epcot opened. So there's a variety. If, if that's not something that um, is, is in your budget, there's also other ways that you can support us as well. So we really do appreciate everybody um, you know, being able to And you get a whole, whole bag of other goodies with that oh, yeah. $82 one. Right? Yep, yep. You, you get all sorts of, uh, we'll, we'll add in the autograph of Tom Nabby and some pins and Corrine and all that stuff. So there's all different levels of things that you can that you can have there. So um, so head over to RetroWDW.com and click on the donor box link up in the right-hand side. And we'll also tweet out an article explaining this as well and get that posted. I'd highly recommend sharing this link with your family members because these are great gifts. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Christmas you know, is less than yeah, 80 days you know, away. That's right. And Hanukkah. Tell your family, hey, I want a, I want a fountain for the second night of Hanukkah. Yep. Boom, there, there you, go. you go. It's right and we, there. We should probably mention that while it does change color, it does not pump water. So don't try to put water in the fountain. Although that was the first question that China asked me. They said, oh, it's a model fountain, so you want it to pump water. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could have gotten it to pump water, but it wouldn't have been here in time for the event if we had done that. That's correct. So, yeah. That's correct. Yep. Maybe that'll be version 2.0. Yeah, I'll have the, to be a little The, life, a little the life size mold we have. Though. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it is really cool at night. The, the, the prisons light up perfectly. Um, it really, really came out. Unless, yeah. like me, you forgot to turn it off the first night and you run your batteries <laughs> down by letting it run all night. Did you? You, know, Brian, you ruined the button Brian batteries. was lulled to sleep by the ever-changing color of, of, of the fountain. Um, one more note on the fountain. I have to give a, a, a huge shout-out to Jason at Deepwater Studios. Uh, as you may know, he is our webmaster. He's also uh, He does work for me on the side for, for some artwork and stuff, but he was behind all of the 3d modeling the entire design of the fountain and uh, i think he did a fantastic job replicating it for us so jason really really appreciate it without you we would not have been able to do this at all so thank you very much for, for putting that all together for us i think what what people need to appreciate here is there's no blueprint for this and there's nothing like somebody didn't go up with a tape measure and, and measure the height <laughs> of the thing like you guys took this from like old films yeah. and photos and sort of like okay this man looks about six foot tall and you that's, know i think that's let's double that's him ex- and that's that's so crazy yeah that's me. exactly what jason did he took a, a, a he found a, a shot of of the fountain that was dead straight on and then through other photos and triangulation and whatnot he was able to try and figure that out and a, a funny quick story that i've told to a couple people is when we first designed the fountain i printed it out it was lame it was so tiny the little the little prisms were about an inch and a half tall and that's because of how big that fountain was he sends me this picture of it with a pencil next to it and i said oh that that's just pitiful and like, it was, it didn't it's a micro yeah, machine yeah. <laughs> we tweeted out a picture of it and it just it just it, it didn't work um, I mean, it looked cool, but it, you don't realize how big that fountain was. So we took some artistic license and collapsed everything together. And then we simulated the tiles and picked out the PMS colors and all that. So um, I think Todd and I spent two hours going back and forth on just the right blue for the <laughs> tile. I'm looking at picture after picture and he's sending me different Pantones and this. Oh, I think it's this one. Maybe it's that one. It's. And all of this was made without actually even seeing the sample. Normally, when you make a product like this, you get a sample, you look at it. We approved everything via photos and uh, collectively held our breath as, uh, as, as the airplane flew 
um, a couple nights before the event to deliver these. Yeah, so technically I could have seen it before you if I would have opened those boxes that's true. while that's, driving that's and true. texting you and saying, Well, the funny the thing was the we time. started st- filling the bags in the in the staging room without having opened one. And it was, you know, Todd got there. We had probably had 50 bags filled at that point. And I finally said, are we going to open one of these? <laughs> and, so, and so there was a point. We, 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 our friend Matt at Horizons One on Twitter helped us. Uh, I, I drafted him that day to come yeah. and help us out at the prep. So he was in there helping uh, Amy and Todd and JT and Hal stuffing bags. And as we're running around trying to get the room set up and the artifact table and everything. And so he's like, do you want me to leave the room? And I'm like, no, this is the benefit of stuffing all these bags is you get to see us open this thing. Uh, And so we got his reaction when he opened it, uh, which was awesome. It was an expletive, Uh, I believe. Yeah, there was some some cuss words. I think there were some cuss words. Yeah. uh, Well, I actually also slipped on Bob Gurr earlier in the day in front of him. I said something about uh, he had met Corinne uh, earlier in the day in Epcot while we were going around and. I said something about, uh, I have some so-and-so coming. Okay, I got to go meet them. They're on Bob Gurr duty tonight. And he looks at me and goes, Bob Gurr's coming tonight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, cat's out of the bag. That's right. That's right. So, but, um, and also I want to give a big thank you also to all of the Disney staff there for, uh, the, the, they were fantastic. Through the evening, you know, they helped us with putting some stuff together. They helped us hand out the gifts. Um, all of the staff, including the, the, the people with the characters, um, the cashiers, the bartenders, uh, Kelly. I know Gloria was unavailable to be there. She was our uh, our main coordinator. Um, Jill was fantastic. So really big thank you to everybody there. I couldn't have asked for for a better team to, to help us pull this off. And and I you know I mean I know I speak for all of us and you all might want to say something, but our fans took a leap. Uh, we'd never done an event before, uh, and we sold a seventy dollar ticket. Uh, promising Tom Nabby and some cake and 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 that we promised them the rest of it would be cool just trust us and I we worked very hard to fulfill uh, everybody's probably very low expectations uh, but 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 <laughs> sure, I, you know going to these but... events for five years I knew the kind of event I wanted to put on and I know you guys have been, I mean, Hal's been to all of them since 2014 with me, the Destination D's and the Faniversaries. And so it was just like everything, when we talk about the character and we talk about the cake, and everything was kind of like, we always had the people coming in mind and trying to create a superior experience for them. Yeah. But the reality of it is all 175 of them bought a ticket, not having any idea what we were gonna do. And the waiting list was what forty percent, fifty percent as much as actually yeah, attended. Sure, exactly. And, I mean, we we could have sold three hundred tickets if if we wanted to, yeah. and and everybody there was great. We didn't. Ha- I don't remember one person coming up during the night saying the pretzel wasn't good enough or this stunk. Like anytime you put this kind of event on afterwards, there's always a story about somebody complained about right, something. Right. We had none of that. Yeah. I mean, these fans were great, and and. I, I, you know, I know I speak for all of us and say how much I appreciate it, and uh, you know, we'll try and do something like this again, and and I hope that uh, that everybody was as satisfied as we think they are. Yep, yep, and and thank you to everybody coming. We really appreciate it, and we had a had a great evening.
All right. Well, let's move on um, to, Brian, you mentioned it just there in the closing a little bit, uh, the D23 events. So um, three of us attended the daytime D23 events, which were preceded this um, a, a anniversary celebration at the Epcot Center Fountain stage at precisely 10.01 a.m. Might have been a little late due to the inclement weather there in the morning. Um, we had the Mariachi Cobre come out uh, and, and play a tune there for us. They've been there all 35 years of Epcot. They're all the original band members there. Um, and then uh, we had some keynote speakers as well. Um, so we had Melissa Veliquette, the vice president of Epcot. Or I guess or maybe she's the vice president in charge of Epcot. So Correct. Um, and then also, uh, oh, I always slaughter his name, George. George a. Caligridis. Thank you. <laughs> the president of Walt Disney World. Right. So, so they, uh, they they told stories. George started out in the park as a, what was his job? His first job there? It's a very low level job. I can't remember what it. So we were treated to that. And then they've, uh, they did some musical, musical numbers to, to end that. And then we were all escorted over uh, to the Millennium Village Pavilion, where um, I will say it was nicely set up when we walked in there and super cool because it was a, it was a humid day. <laughs> so it was refreshingly cold in there. Um, and there were a number of different uh, events that D23 put on there. It lasted, I think it started around 11, right? And um, went to about 2.30. Well, yeah, they, they, they gave us a reserve spot for the outdoor ceremony, and then we moved indoors. I think they started at 10.45 mm -hmm. with the first presentation, which was uh, Michael Crawford, who's Progress City USA on Twitter and in the Internet, and uh, Imagineer Daniel Joseph, uh, who took us through lo really looking back at tomorrow, some of some of Epcot Center's uh, forgotten attractions mm -hmm. and some uh, little tidbits from there. Anything jump out at you guys uh, that you remember from that presentation? Yeah. So, uh, so the one thing that struck me is they pulled out this memo uh, from uh, the Universe of Energy when they were putting that together. So uh, obviously this is a big tragedy. Uh, you know, we lost this, this attraction a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they pulled out a memo from Marty where they were having a discussion about whether or not the snails, which were used in the 1964 World's Fair version, should make it into the attraction. So uh, <laughs> there's this thing that says, based on the attraction, the attached memo, we should probably eliminate the large snails from the universe of energy. Please let me know if you disagree with eliminating the snails. And of course, they made it in. And uh, right. <laughs> and, and then just... they brought they brought one of the snail animatronics out. Uh, for the crowd, a, a snail named Reggie. Yeah, so that was that was really cute. Um, but yeah, that Michael did a great job going over uh, a lot of stuff. They they touched on some of the things like uh, Horizons had a digital projector in it, which was unheard of uh, at the time. That was a brand new technology, and that mm -hmm. was used at the end when you picked uh, where you were going to go. It's like they had a video displayer attached to that digital projector, so that way they could repeat that over and over again. Was it in? Uh, was it in that presentation too? We learned that there was originally going to be another a fourth that there was going to be a city um, yes. choice in the end. Yes. I believe it was in that presentation. Right. They showed a picture. I think it was Fitzgerald was pointing in in the photo, and there was uh, it was going to be a no, Nova site. Yeah, yeah, uh, and um, that never made it into the into the final. Yep. Yeah, that was cool. And uh, they also, I think this was on uh the inside out dvd extra but they they played a, some bits of cranium command uh and they had uh pixar storyman and director pete doctor uh talk a little bit about how he had actually worked on cranium command as an animator when he was an intern at disney 
and and he, he said that he uh, he got to do kind of a big sequence when he first started, and then when he got about halfway through the picture, uh, a bunch of the Disney animators, like the real animators who were on other projects, like came in and kind of like pushed him out of the way and, and started doing the rest of the animation. So then he got to work on a bunch of the cutout stuff. Um, but it was neat because we got to see some some real nice projections of the, the Cradium Command pre-show, which we had not seen in a long time. I completely forgot about the cutouts. They're very Monty Python-esque. Uh, yes. yes. You know, completely forgot about those. It really refreshed me. And I always count on any Michael Crawford presentation to include rare video or audio, and he didn't disappoint by including about a minute of snazzy audio promotional footage of the world of motion with a song that we hadn't heard before, uh, which was really quite fun. And I believe how you said that was from one of the GM films that were, it was made. Yes. Right? So that was from a video that was put together for General Motors um, that was actually played for General Motors employees. Um, so they would get an understanding of what the pavilion was about and what they were investing all their money in. Which is uh, actually a really great little uh, a little piece. Yeah, that uh, I I think in the annals of corporate sponsors, probably none uh, better than General Motors married their various sponsorships of Disney stuff uh, with their product and with benefits for their employees. I mean, I think we learned that as we spent some time up in the GM lounge that night. JT and I had uh, had a good conversation with uh, one of the GM attendants up in the VIP lounge of Test Track. And uh, and so we probably three or four times over that weekend, we learned different things about uh, benefits that General Motors both got from sponsoring and offered to their benefits as a result of their participation in the parks. That's cool. I mean, that's really why that's one of the great reasons that you would uh, want to become a corporate sponsor, pass this stuff on. It really is, and it and it speaks to their unbroken string of sponsorship. I th- are they probably the only one now, right? That that kind of from the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning they, of Epcot. They, yeah, they've never broken their sponsorship. So, all right. So the the next thing up, guys, was we had the presentation with uh, Tony Baxter, and uh, I believe there are two other people up there. Their names escape me at the moment, but we went through went through what thirty different things that if you knew about Epcot and. You know, us being the people that we are, we kind of knew most of them, but there were a couple neat little tidbits in there. Um, one that well, I the remember. The first thing that I'll tell you is who those other people were, because that Thank was you. one of the 35 things. <laughs> <laughs> so along with Tony Baxter, it was uh, Imagineer Jason Grant, who is 43 square miles on Twitter, and also show writer uh, Diana Brost. So there we go. There we go. And so they reviewed uh, while we were eating lunch. Uh, which they brought out and served to us there uh, in our nice little nifty takeaway Epcot 35 lunchbox totes. When what they are actually is little coolers that can hold uh, like a six-pack or two six-packs stacked on top of each other. Really nice takeaway, but they brought out a box lunch for us. And I want to take a moment to compliment D23 because I've been to these events now, like I said, for five years. And Usually they're set up in a like stadium seating kind of a, an arrangement where it's just rows and rows of chairs. And this one, they broke precedent and we were actually all seated at tables of eight people. Uh, and you could pick your table, no assigned tables or anything. It wasn't a wedding. But uh, we had bottomless drinks available to us, uh, Coke, Diet Coke, water and coffee. And, uh, and then they 
fed us and and what a nice way to spend four or five hours right like to just yeah. kind of sit at a table and and listen to them talk about mm -hmm. epcot it's very relaxed uh, you know with everybody now with their devices and cho i mean i think we had six chargers on our table at that one point when i looked up and everybody had their phone plugged into a charger but what a great way to yeah. to take in the event it was really and i, I was puzzling so i thought we were going to have a choice of food and lo and behold we we had the sliced beef tenderloin and the chicken sandwich in so you really yeah. you really had the choice they um, fed us well. Yeah. I and mean, there was a lot of food in there. And that spaceship Earth Pop. I don't know. I really liked it. The cake pop. <laughs> the cake yeah. pop was good. <laughs> so we All learned. right. But enough about the yeah. food. Even though our food episode apparently was very popular, according yes, to everybody who came up to it us was. over that weekend. But yeah, so Tony Baxter and Jason Grant and Diana Brost went through 35 different things that we didn't may not have known about Epcot. Right. Uh, my favorite fact of the day was about the imagination bathrooms. Yeah, there we go, that they're still running that original background loop. But how did Tony start it? It was great. <laughs> Tony started by noting for us that until the attraction opened, which was six months after the park opened, uh, that that bathroom was used as the conference slash meeting room every day for the construction, the daily construction meetings uh, until the pavilion opened, uh, that they didn't have anywhere else in the pavilion to do it because the Image Works was opened at that point and guests were going into it. So they would meet every day in the bathrooms there. And that's that's where they held their meetings every day, which probably accounts for why that bathroom is in just such an odd location. You know, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe the entrance was going to be somewhere else, but uh, it is it is a very, very odd location. The other imagination thing that he went over is that he talked about how Joe Rohde played one of the um, dream finders up in up in the um, uh, in the image works area. And they showed some clips from Joe Rohde doing that. And um, the the clip where the kids can act on the stage and uh, be transported into this this film um, of, of them being in an old west scene. And I thought I, I got a good chuckle out of the fact that, you know, here it is. 1982 and this this guy's got a gun and he's firing it at kids <laughs> in the attraction um but uh it was kind of neat to, to see that I, i'll tell you what i took away from that clip too is that even when disney possesses the masters how badly some of those videotapes have degraded oh yeah you know because that was obviously shot on video right and uh they just you know they're using the best copy they have available and it had degraded quite a bit. And Disney, if you're listening, we can help out with that. We got some, we got some neat, neat filters, and we can bring some of that stuff back to life. That was not an attempt at a shameless plug. I promise you. <laughs> so, but there were a number of other things that that Tony and, and crew went through, and I, I think it was a really neat presentation. Like you said, Brian, it was a, it was at the right time where everybody's sitting there eating their sandwiches. It was a great light event uh, for for that time of the. And then we moved into the dreamers and doers segment, right? Where they yes. brought up um, a number of different uh, past and, and current Imagineers. Um, uh, Sully uh, Sullivan was up there. Um, and uh, I think a, a, what I took out of that, if I remember, is a lot about logs. <laughs> Crafting <laughs> well, had, logs. <laughs> yeah, they had a retired Imagineer, Patrick Brennan. Uh, who was there, and he told the story about the first uh, project he ever got at Imagineering when he started was one of the guys assigned him to build a log. And uh, so he builds, you know, he molds this log and then calls the guy that gave him the instructions over to, you know, kind of review his work and see how he was doing. And so the guy then asked him a series of questions like, well, what's the log going to be used for? I don't know. Okay, well... Are they putting an animatronic on it? 
I don't know. Well, if they're putting an animatronic, where are the service holes going for the for the hydraulics and for the anchor? And where's the control box going to be? And where have you allowed for those things? And he said the whole thing was an exercise in the kinds of things you need to ask uh, in Imagineering when they give you an assignment uh, so that you know what you're actually building and what it's going to be used for. So he used it as a teaching thing. But we found out, you know, that the, the, the money moment for the for the story was that the log resided in the universe of energy from 1982 up until the attraction closed a few weeks ago. And uh, one of the dinosaurs actually sat upon it and uh, thrilled guests. So we went by Patrick's uh, log for 35 years. That's right. And, you know, one thing that I took away from that whole panel, it was really neat listening to the different Imagineers not only compliment each other, but really demonstrate in, in their words of how well the teams worked and how, you know, it was a fun job but they were there to also teach the next generation and the, ne the, the people behind them. Um, and you really could get a sense of, um, of, of how much joint ownership there was in the projects and how well they worked together and how their training to help one another was, was really, really strong. And I, I noticed that through a lot of the, the comments and it really goes a long way to show how, how well um, you know, Disney is organized in that fashion to, to, to help each other out and, and train the next. And uh, I, I, it was great because I got to hear Sully Sullivan tell the bird story again as to why there are a grove of trees in the middle of the Epcot parking lot because they found some bird that was protected and so they had to, that lives in dead trees. So they had to leave this this grove of dead trees in the center of the Epcot parking lot uh, and move construction over to another spot uh, to what they were doing. And when he told this, he added the story this time that the uh, whoever is a construction manager or whatever that was completely frustrated by this discovery that was made by uh, one of the people on the staff who also happened to be a birder, uh, that to give him a little bit of a rise, uh, they got him a stuffed version of whatever that protected bird was and put it in his office at, <laughs> at, at Imagineering, which I thought was very, very funny. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was great to hear those some of those stories I had heard before, uh, which I guess is a function of having gone to enough of these events. Uh, but it was just that was a fun panel. It always is. To, they had three current Imagineers, one retired Imagineer, Sully, who's a Disney legend. Uh, and then uh, I always forget his name. What is it? Rick Allen? Rick Allen. Yeah. Rick Allen. And, and he told us a story about his dad. Right. How? That's right. So his dad was uh, one part of the group that would go around uh, the world to uh, to different countries and kings and then also corporations to try to sign people onto Epcot Center. So um, his dad got to travel the world uh, in order to get sponsors for Epcot, which is pretty groovy. And then his brother, his, uh, his claim to fame, uh, I believe his name is Bob Allen, um, he got to voice Figment uh, for just like 30 seconds in this promotional video. Uh, but he did an absolutely fantastic job. I mean, he sounds exactly like Billy Barty. It's, it was so cool. You really yeah. can't tell the difference at all. If you if, if you didn't tell me, I wouldn't have known. Right. And and so just so you know, Rick Allen is the, uh, he's in charge of Future World. That's his, his responsibility. So he told us the story that his mother still goes to the parks. And uh, he said the one day he got a phone call from her and she says, he answers the phone. Hey, mom, how you doing? She says, well, 
I'm standing outside of Test Track, and there's trash all over the floor here. You know, <laughs> so he got yelled at by his mom for his his portion of the park not being clean enough. To me, the one my big takeaway from the whole panel is just how much passion uh, everyone who who worked on Epcot and continues to work on Epcot uh, has for the park. Uh, and even the current Imagineers, it's like they all told stories about when they were younger and, and experienced it. And it, and I think it is a really special place for them. Uh, so, you know, despite or maybe uh, I don't know what the right way to put this is. It's like, I think no matter what management puts to them is Epcot transforms and changes. I, I think they really are going to try very hard, uh, you know, to, to keep the soul of Epcot uh, in there as much as they can. I, I agree, and it definitely you, you could definitely see even when they kicked that whole panel off, they made sure to show us photos of all of them at their very first time in Epcot, whether it was them building it or them there in silly looking socks and nineteen eighties garb as a kid. I mean, it was it was really neat to see them add that uh, that bit in there, and they all genuinely really did appreciate the park, like you said, Hal, and uh, you can definitely tell that they've got a good team assembled to help us into the future. So after that wrapped up, we went into uh, an entertainment, a um, little bit about uh, Mariachi Cobre and um, all the different entertainment that's been there over the years. Yeah, so Mariachi Cobre, the, I was extremely fascinated by this. And Todd, actually, we have seen them before. Oh. Think about where else we've seen a mariachi band in some of our... Uh, it's got to be at the Contemporary. Yes. So... Uh, they actually started out in Disneyland in the early 1960s uh, as teenagers. They were part of this like teen mariachi uh, thing uh, group uh, that I guess was, was was something that was new. Was uh, it like Menudo? Yeah, <laughs> the moon, man, Mariachi Nudo. So they so they performed at Disneyland, and then uh, they would do festivals there every so often. And then uh, the entertainment director kept, uh, um, let me find his name here, uh, Randy uh, Carrillo. They uh, they kept his number and they would call him up uh, at like odd intervals and say, oh, hey, why don't you come out and, and uh, do this, uh, you know, do a show for us or do a festival for us. And so when they opened up Walt Disney World, they called him and they had him. And they were very young still. They had him go to Walt Disney World and perform in the Contemporary. And also he sh shared a photo of uh, inside Pecos Bills when they were performing in there with the Frito-Lay logo on one side of the stage and the PepsiCo, the Pepsi logo on the other side of the stage, which was which was really cool. And then they played there for a number of years and then stopped. And then once uh, they did Epcot, they called them up to have him do Mexico and and he has been there for 35 years as a full-time cast member uh ever since then which is just incredible that's pretty cool I didn't realize that the the history of them went went that far back so so after they wrapped up that was kind of the end we did get a a tribute musical tribute right to a lot of the old Epcot uh songs they had a uh, a trio of singers come out and um oh no not a not just a trio oh, it was a quartet we had right? three cheeses Four singers. Four singers. I'm sorry. I, I, I missed one there. I That's okay. Um, and they had them come out and did a number of different songs, including, I believe, Golden Dream was in there. We had Hori New Horizons, Making Memories. Yeah. I think it kicked off with Making Memories. Yeah, Tomorrow's Child. Tomorrow's and Child, Spark. yeah. And, yeah they, and actually, I, I want to just, you know, as a musician guy, 
I think they did a phenomenal job, both this group and when uh, when the um, the Voices of Liberty did mm-hmm. their medley at the beginning. It's like these were not trivial arrangements of these songs. It's like they did a great job blending uh, all of the old Epcot songs together into these things. And, you know, I don't know if they were ever going to perform this outside of this one performance. And I know it certainly took a lot of time to arrange and it took a lot of time to to rehearse and practice and get right and and they nailed it so and it should be mentioned that it was introduced as a tribute to marty sklar who we just lost recently and this is the first one of these anniversary events uh destination d or fan anniversary that marty was not a part of but uh jason grant and tony baxter told us that he had intended to be there he had he had had a plane ticket and his reservations booked uh, you know, his death was quite unexpected a few months ago. And, and uh, so it, that was a, a really a wonderful tribute to him because they picked three songs from original Epcot to to uh, to do. And Marty was, of course, in kind of running Imagineering back then when they did all that. So it was a nice tribute. Done very well. Um, as the event uh, ended, uh, we did uh, have the opportunity to purchase some Epcot 35 things at a pop-up store that was in, in the tent. Um, but um, I don't think, did any of us, did any of us buy anything? I, I was good. Uh, I, I didn't buy any merchandise. You didn't <laughs> we spent enough on the weekend. Um, afterwards, we did a nice, uh, we met uh, up with a lot of our fans from the prior night and some new fans and new people that bought, were brought along by friends. Uh, and we did a walking tour of Epcot. And um, that's actually one of the things that we will do with you on our on our donor list, actually, is a, is a um, personal tour of Epcot um, by one of your hosts here. So when you're looking at the donor page, uh, think about that. Um, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. We did a lot of great stuff. Uh, but after that, after our walking tour concluded uh, over at the land pavilion um, and thanks to everybody coming out for that. Uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the program, the four of us um, just by happen chance or by luck, I don't know what it was. We did not do any early ticketing on this at all. We were able to uh, obtain one uh, or four, I should say, of the 50 tickets available for the progressive dinner. Now, guys, going into this, we had no idea how exclusive this was going to be. We were thinking maybe 100 tickets or so. Um, and I remember going Well, up- right. We knew from trying to originally do our event at the Norway Pavilion that the that the top out there was a hundred people so we figured out oh, it must be 90 or 100 people right because it said meet at norway right that's, that's where the that's where the night was starting right so, so we figured okay well it can't be more than a hundred you know so we arrive in norway and we go upstairs and and as it turns out i you know i asked upon checking how many people were attending and they said 50 and uh we were kind of take i was taken aback by that and um there was also a couple messages um sent to us in the previous uh, a couple days leading up that you could not wear any open-toed shoes uh so proper footwear was was required for um the final event of the evening which we're going to talk about in a few minutes um so they lead us into the norway pavilion to start where uh we are treated to champagne uh and a number of different uh um appetizers uh tenderloin tenderloin tacos they were good they were really good yeah um some shrimp uh orange horizons orange shrimp in a risotto and uh, some pretzels from germany everything had a theme back to an an old epcot pavilion or even current epcot pavilion um and we sat down and um there was a there was a toast um with the champagne and bob gurr uh, repeated the story about uh 
Ford and, and GM. <laughs> so we got to hear it. Toast, was it the toast by the vice president? Yes, of Epcot yes, too, yes, she it? was there. Um, did that. And we were in that pavilion for a little while. We were sitting with Bob and, and um, Tony Baxter was there and everybody was milling about. And it was a really nice, intimate event. I mean, if you include the D23 folks, we're only talking about 60-some people total. Um, yeah. uh, my favorite part of that first session was we're sitting there at, at, with Bob Gurr at the table, and uh, Bob, at one point after we're there, about 10, 15 minutes, says, uh, well, I've spent a lot of time with you guys. i got to go mingle with the rest of these folks. And he just got <laughs> up and moved on. And, yeah. and of course, he sat with us at the next place, and, and we had a really nice chat, yeah. further chat. But exactly. uh, it was just, you know, again, that whole idea that, he knows he's there to to interact with everybody in the room, and so he makes sure he takes the time to yep. to try to make sure everybody gets to him. Exactly, exactly. And he, I felt like this this was the first moment of this evening too. I felt like I was doing something wrong. Like I'm like, we can just have all this. It's okay, <laughs> and I can stand here with Tony Baxter, and it's not a big deal. Like it was just, I'm like texting everybody I know that can actually you know, talk like, to me if I say hello. Yeah, okay. I got Tony Baxter here in unlimited champagne. <laughs> like this is crazy. Oh man. So we, we did, uh, I think we spent about a half hour there or so, and they asked us to um, to get up, and we'd be moving on to the next uh, location. So we, we marched over in a somewhat half-assembled uh, uh, line with Bob Gurr leading the way. I, you've got a great picture of that, JT, with Bob just holding the D23 sign above his head and just yeah, it was great forcing his way I've through the park. I've told this story. It's so awesome. We're, we're standing down there, and you know, they had us like those handlers, like the Disney workers with the light-up wands. They weren't there, and somebody goes, well, they go, just head to G- the GM building. And we go, we don't know where that is. I think you guys were still upstairs or on your way down. And so we all look, and we go, well, I'm sure Bob Gurr knows where this is, and he kind of took it upon himself to lead us. So with one finger in the air, he's walking us through the World Showcase towards uh, World of Motion, or, yeah, World of Motion, and, you know, he it was hilarious because you see these random people walking by this group, and they're going, oh, my God, that was Bob yeah. Gurr. Like, you know, they just didn't know, and yet he's taking us to the, the GM building, which... He just finished telling the story about, you know, getting the sponsorship show. It was pretty cool. And don't cool. forget, you're walking with a lot of people from, from you know, California. And even one of them, uh, a couple of them motioned to me and said, I, you know, I've never never been to this ride before. I don't, I didn't, I've never been Epcot. This is the first time I've seen Illumination. So a lot of them really didn't know where to go. But, you know, Bob just cut right through the crowd. And halfway through, you've got Tony Baxter. And we're going through that congested area between Mexico and, and Odyssey and, uh, you know, you see people trying to pull over Baxter for photos, and <laughs> it was it was quite a quite a yeah. It was very it felt very exclusive. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue the hero worship of 86 year old Bob Gurr here because we we had had our event the night before. We were out that morning at the D23 event. Uh, you know, but really we we spent the afternoon sitting at a table. We did this walking tour of Epcot, which you know for a future world, which you know we were out 90 minutes on our feet trucking around future world but we got to this event and i know like all four of us were like like you know we we felt like we did three rounds with muhammad ali so we're out from this first one and i am watching bob gurr truck through the crowded world showcase (laughs) uh and and i gotta tell you i tell everybody it's like rush hour in calcutta when you're trying to make your way right during food and wine i mean there's just throngs of people everywhere i'm having trouble keeping up with the guy and yep, he's got he's 60 years on us. <laughs> like, it just, he he just didn't seem to quit. He just trucked along. Yeah, he, 
He had that D23 uh, marker plate there on the stick, yeah. and he's walking along leading the whole tour. Yeah. Like, he wasn't there for that. They, It's like they, somebody should have been like, Bob, we got people to do this. Just hang back and have some champagne. So we, we arrive there at uh, at Test Track, and we, we all go up the elevator, and that's a really nice lounge. It's obviously all been redone, um, and, and, and they timed it with um, – they're working to time it with, with Sunset, which was a little overcast that night, so it was tough to see. Um, but we sat down there, we had Bob and, and we had Jeffrey Epstein from, uh, from D23 at our table and, um, Steve Agnini came over and, and talked to us. He loved our Mesa Verde university shirt. Uh, so it was really great to, to talk to everybody. And, um, I think that was, that, that's where we had the, the cheddar cheese soup from Canada and the field green salad, yeah. uh, from the grown from at the, the land, land, which, yeah, with, I mean, with, yep. and with a spaceship earth crustini, exactly. which was the only night. Which was the only thing of the night that I'm like, come on. It's just a little, it's, it's a, like a little crouton. It's a, it's an oval. It's not even, yeah, it well, look, nothing to do with space. It looked maybe like the Siemens logo. You know, it was oval. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stretching it here. I'm Too stretching soon. it here. They did have drinks for us on a That's platter right. again. We walked in. Those blue. Come on. Uh, what was that called? Yeah, there was a number. Five, two. Five ninety something was it? Five a number. Two it was, something in. Uh, I don't know what that significance. It was the no, length of test track. Ah, there you uh, go. All I can tell you is it it for those of you Taco Bell fans out there, it tasted like the Mountain Dew Baja mix oh, that they have. So and except it was like pure alcohol and it went down so good the walk from GM to the Living Seas pavilion for me was a little tough because I had a couple of them. They in fact the guy <laughs> gave us a roadie, remember? Yeah, they did roadies at all of them. They said, I go, what should I do with this glass of beer I just started? They go, go ask the guy for a plastic cup. He'll dump yes, it in there yeah. for you. I, I walked from one to the other with the beer. It was great. It was it was great. Yeah. Now, I want to add, though, that the, the, the lounge up there offered obviously a cool view of Spaceship Earth. We we noticed it. Somebody brought up it didn't have the covering over the the test track, you know, extended queue there. So from the hurricane, so that was cool. Just it was structure. But then if you looked like you did that, you know, Sears Tower, put your head against the glass look on on the lounge, you could see the test track cars like shooting by every fifteen seconds. Yeah, you or you so, posted was, a video of that, JT, right? Yeah, I did on Instagram. It was really cool. I used the the magical slow mo on my iPhone and just grabbed grabbed a couple of them. But it was cool. You just see these people in a full bank turn, like you're like, there goes another, there goes another. And same thing with the drinks. It was like there goes another, there goes another. <laughs> so after we finished up there, um, they led us back downstairs and we headed over to a now familiar lounge, which was the Living Sea Salon. We walked in. Yeah, we, we all... did the Forrest Gump. We go. We got to visit the Sea Salon again. <laughs> and it was like uh, it was deja vu, vu walking in there. And then some it... of the, some of the hosts, uh, hosts and hostesses there were, were there for us the previous night. So I know Jill recognized. She goes, "Hey, you're back!" and and. Yeah. Uh, one of the women with with the lightsabers or the, the light wands. She's. I said, "Oh, you're you're back from last night." She recognized me as well. So um, it was good to good to see them again. There. Well, happy. when we were at the GM lounge, the guy serving us our soup. Mm -hmm. If you remember when he said, "I said, didn't you work our event last night at the Living Sea Lounge?" Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Now we walk in. It's pretty funny. It's because it's a lot of these people's first time into the Seas Lounge, and and you know, Tasha was like, "Oh, all right, we're back here." So we we went and found our table. Everybody's up at the aquarium taking pictures, and 
and whatnot. I could have given a tour of the place. Like, hey guys, the bathroom's over here. Here's the piano. Great. You want a picture of the you, piano? It go was, ahead. It was it. nice to be able to go in there, not from the stairs in the back, lugging boxes up two flights of stairs. <laughs> oh my Thank gosh. You, Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Hal and JT. That's right. Our unloading yeah. crew. We'll, we'll do it differently next time. We'll ask them for an extra hour. <laughs> At the GM lounge, we had Jeffrey Epstein from D23 with us at our table. Yep. So sitting with us at our table was uh, one of the two Walt Disney World ambassadors, Ken Fazy. Actually, at the attraction walkthrough later that night, we had the other Walt Disney World uh, ambassador with us, Brandon Peters. Yeah, Brandon was cool. He was nice in Spaceship Earth. Yeah. Yes. Ken was all pumped. He was Ken was actually. I felt I was the elder statement statesman for once. So I knew how you guys feel dealing with me because Ken was like, "Hey, have you guys talked about the Animal Kingdom?" This and I was, I was like, "Yes." We, like we had a Ken good chat about the Hatbox Ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes, Ryan blew his mind by showing him actual, you know, film goes, of the Hatbox Ghost. Yeah, he goes. I, I've never seen a video of it. And Brian goes, "Watch this yeah. <laughs> of, of the original Hatbox Ghost, not the one that's been there for the last few years." Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then I think he also he was he was enthralled with the opening of uh, the Seas Pavilion with John Ritter. It was how he broke the conversation open, which was fun. Yeah, he he told us he had a videotape, and one side of it, or like the first half, was the Living Seas uh, opening special. I'm trying to remember what the second half was now because they said. Uh, I thought the second half was uh, either the 15th anniversary special or the Disney MGM Studios opening special. I don't remember which one he told us, but uh, I think it was the 15th anniversary because yeah, they right. would have been within six months or a year of each other. There's, yeah, I felt like we were rehashing our episode of opening specials because he talked about, uh, oh gosh, who was the guy on the acoustic guitar? He oh, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Campbell. Campbell. Glenn Campbell, yeah. Glenn Campbell came he, up. He was joking. <laughs> so walk, walk. Glenn Campbell. <laughs> Walking through the forest and all of a sudden, there's a monorail. <laughs> but actually, let me just say how nice it was to talk to someone from Disney who was actually a fan of Disney because that seems mm. to be such the rarity these days. Really was like you got a. Uh, it was the story he told at the morning session was about how, as a kid, he had with paper towel rolls and tin foil constructed his own spaceship Earth model, because he was so taken by it. And uh, what a, what a great time to sit with him and chat uh, over dinner. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was really nice. Now, for those of you who didn't get in, I tried not to talk this up on Twitter because I don't want to be like, what a jerk. Nobody got tickets to this thing. Now we're going to describe in detail for you the dinner exactly. that we had. So the, the, I'm, I'm reading from, I took a picture of the placard that was sitting on the table at each of our settings. And uh, it says, the sea is inspired. It was a main lobster tail paired with grass-fed beef tenderloin filet, black truffle risotto, broccoli spears, and a roasted plum tomato. Um, so they bought those all out to Now, everybody. for those of you who didn't make it, uh, yeah. steak was a little tough. The lobster was undercooked. You didn't miss yeah, it. Didn't it. it was, <laughs> really, there wasn't enough truffle, if you ask me. You know? uh, honestly, if they had just served me the dessert. Yeah. Because uh, oh, I, yes. I am a dessert man. It was, what was it? School bread from Norway. We had more Horizons orange uh, tart. orange tarts. There was the... Orange um, tarts. There was a the, the macaroons uh, from from the macarons, macarons. yeah from from France that were horizons themed I forget what they were th- uh, well French pavilion French themed. French pavilion themed yeah um, oh and then the uh, cannolis yeah. the original Alfredo's cannolis and uh, the last thing I remember was a trifle like a peach trifle at the end which I think was off of a uh, playing off the UK pavilion I think no gotcha. there was a peach boys that was the one I oh, refused yes. to eat because it was food rock themed food rock yeah everything had a little tag on it that tra- 
the desserts were originally going to be um, uh, served over at the UK Pavilion, so they gave us a little more time here at the Seas to eat dessert, um, and then they said they would usher us over to the to the UK Pavilion. Uh, to watch oh. to watch illuminations man and it's a good thing no. they didn't give us dessert there because that would have been oh my that gosh been, that it would have been sucked. So... <laughs> i'll tell you what though if they would have ended it at the seas salon i don't know about you guys but i feel like i would have been satisfied like i that was three things with the food it would have been pretty darn well, good just not worth what we paid but it would have been super awesome Illumina- so it was nice for them to bring us all the way over and see illuminations i i you know i'm not gonna go into it here i have my pros and cons with illuminations but um Let's let's start and, and explain to folks where that is. If if you're looking at the UK Pavilion, uh, it's down around the end of the garden area, and you're you're very very low on the water, looking directly out to the center of uh, World Sh- Showcase Lagoon. So we had an excellent pro- water water well, level, well, right? Water like level. You can touch right. the they, water. They built these these little overlooks and outcroppings from in front of the restaurants of a lot of the pavilions or the walkways. Of a lot of the pavilions. In this case, it's outside of the Rose and Crown, outside right. the windows of the Rose and Crown. And uh, they rent them, uh, mm-hmm. so you can rent them. And, and D23 had this one booked for an Illuminations dessert party, and uh, it was about as close as they can get you to the actual yeah. launch pad. And <laughs> maybe too well, close. So well, so the wind is the wind is not blowing in our favor that evening, and the the illumination starts, <laughs> and the wind is blowing in our face. And after the first large set of fireworks going off you know you can feel the smoke and a little bit of ash come towards you and um, which is always the case i mean if you do illuminations that's always the case with illuminations you want to try to be upwind from it exactly so you know they can't control where we are in the wind that night so it's acceptable so we watch the entire illuminations and then um they proceed to talk about a special fireworks display to celebrate epcot 35 um and things start off very very well and the, the fireworks are going off and it it's about a three and a half minute production and the fireworks start building up bigger and bigger and we get to the finale guys i mean we saw things shooting horizontal across the water we <laughs> spinning in the sky and all of a sudden there is this just it's like mortars of stuff going off from these two special barges that they had dragged out there I think JT you said it's like being in a war zone. I mean, it was just pop after it's pop, nuclear after fallout, pop. just just smoke <laughs> and just ash and, and you, chunks of cardboard. Right, you feel stuff. There were I looked down afterwards, and there was curved pieces of the shell that had fallen down all around us. Later on, we're in light, and we find out that we have all have these stains in our arms from the the firework dye or something. My hair had ash in it. Um, it, it was. And mind you, none of these are complaints. No, no, it was it was no, it was it awesome. Was, it was just it was thoroughly awesome. It was just so into, and then we're, yeah, like Hal said, good thing they didn't do the desserts there because we're supposed to eat through <laughs> yeah. that. Standing Our desserts there. would have been covered in smoke, smoke and, and soot. And <laughs> so we fire. So here we are. We all smell like sulfur, and and they had already told us what the the final thing would be, uh, which we're going to get to here in a second. So we walk back um, to Spaceship Earth, and we go into the exit area. And um, we break up into groups of 14 and we're told that we are cast members for the evening. 
And the reason being is that um, we're honorary cast members, so to speak, because we were a very small group to be able to go up and walk all of Spaceship Earth from where you board and with the work lights on, walk all the way up the spiral and come down through the center. Now, before we get to the description, because we learned so much on it, our group's first stop was actually to go outside and ride the maintenance elevator from the outside, which if those of you are not familiar where the maintenance elevator is, it's in that stainless steel mirrored area right in front of the uh, Spaceship Earth entrance uh, where the queue begins. And um, we went up there and got to see the maintenance area and we learned a little bit about the plumbing, right guys? Yes, we did. Well, it's crazy because that's the the spot everybody takes their selfie at. It seems like, and they, they you know, it's the, this big door opens up, and it's like anything backstage. You don't expect it to be so just utility, mm. but it's just a big utility elevator with that. Not even like a door, just a gate yeah. that comes down in front <laughs> yeah, of you. It's a, it's a true freight elevator. There's there's nothing nothing yeah. fancy about it, and they can move some pretty large stuff up through there. Now, when that we we rode that up, was that the only place that elevator went, or did it go more places? I believe it went to a couple other, uh, one or two other yeah, floors, because yeah. they said that Reedy Creek can can utilize that to, to evacuate people. So we went to what, four. like floor four, four. or something? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So four has a has a control panel, some evacuation information. Uh, standing uh, sitting next to me were racks of blueprints on the on their edge, um, indicate you know for for repairs and whatnot. Um, but off to the side, we, we look over, and there is a toilet, and there is an actual bathroom. Well, there's, there's a bathroom. Bathroom, yeah, yeah with a, a toilet. It's not just a <laughs> toilet. The toilet yeah. is not just sitting right. out. But there's, there's a bathroom with a full toilet, full sink, um, and uh, there's an eyewash station, among other things. Uh, so our, our guide tells us that that is the only bathroom in Spaceship Earth, and then proceeds to tell us that where we are is on the other side of the caveman scene, right? With the with the woolly yes the woolly behind guy. the screen yep. and uh, that they are not permitted to use that bathroom because when they do, you can sometimes hear the flush as you go through the caveman <laughs> scene. Imagine that sound. So for emergency use only. Yeah, uh, but what we other important water detail from up there is she pointed it out and said that is the coldest water fountain uh, on property, and we tried it. <laughs> I mean, at that point, it began a procession of people trying the water fountain. That's right. And it is, in fact, where you can get the coldest drink right. in all of Epcot. It was deliciously refreshing at that point at the end of the yes. day. Um, so we descend in the elevator, and the next group is going to come up. And it turns out we were the first group to then go inside um, of Spaceship Earth and, and proceed to do a security safety lockout procedure um, in order to, to make sure that everything was safe and that the ride wouldn't turn on while we were in there. Um, so we begin to, to walk up uh, the stairs. And the first bit of information I thought was neat was uh, she talked about that television screen that you see when you go in there. You always think you're on it and you're wondering where you are. Um, you know, you're trying to wave at that screen. And it's, it turns out that the camera is actually up in the uh, ancient Egyptian area, which I thought when the Phoenicians actually, which I thought was interesting. But um, as we crest to the top where the uh, caveman scene begins, how we found two things. First, you asked a very poignant question about some historical aspect of right there where that giant black scrim was. So one of my longstanding questions from probably the first time I saw Spaceship Earth to last up until last week was uh, 
why isn't there a full scene of the Mastodon and the cavemen there? Because um, I think we talked about this on our Spaceship Earth episode. It's like when when uh, the park first opened up and you would go on that ride, you saw um, slide projects slides projected of the model for for that very scene, and it always seemed odd to me. It's like, well, they they obviously built a model for it, so it seems like they were going to put it in there. And for some reason, they didn't. Um, and I asked, is there enough room behind that screen for a for a full scene with a, a mastodon attack? And she's like, she told us, yes, that there was. And she said that the uh, it was determined that the figure would be too heavy for that area. And so they scrapped the idea and ended up going with a projection instead. And now today it's a digital projection with a 3D modeled mastodon and caveman. It's a, a lot more fancy, but... Um, I don't know if I believe that that is true, that that's why it was scrapped, but uh, it feels good to know that, in in fact, uh, like there was something planned for there and there's enough space for it. And who knows, maybe it's someday right. it'll show up. It's also the only scene they could get away with it because they haven't gotten into the animatronics yet. Right. So, yeah. so like you can you can fool it there, but. As, Once you get into the next scene, you're you're married to the animatronics. And, and we found out there's another place too where it seems like perhaps some some maybe some costs were cut somewhere yeah. along the line, and we'll get to that a, a little, little bit, bit towards the end. Yeah. But. So how my one theory too is that remember as we in the Spaceship Earth episode we talked about how it's built as a table with half of it hanging and half of it um, the, the the bottom geodesic sphere being hung and the top being resting on that table. I'm wondering, are we are we below the table at that point where it's where it's hanging, and is that a cause of, of the weight concern? That's, I mean, that is a very valid question because you know, uh, obviously there are. I, I know they told us the figure like how many tons yeah. the whole thing weighs. I mean, it's insane. It's holding up an awful lot. I I have. I, it's hard for me to believe that. Like, oh, another like. I don't know how much an animatronic mass that unweighs. A couple of thousand. I don't see how a couple of thousand pounds is suddenly going to make like Spaceship Earth come rolling off of its base and go into the World Showcase Lagoon. But, you know, it could it could be. Yep. It could happen. So also in that scene, if you look up very carefully to your left as the car is just turning, you'll if you have really good eyes and they're adjusted at that point, you'll see uh, the beam for the crane that is there to come over and lift up the cars. And uh, what we did learn was that uh, to remove one car from the track takes six hours and the, re- the actual track system cannot go in reverse. So if, if it's not in the absolute exact spot for, for the crane to lift that off, they have to then send the train, the track all the way around, which takes 13 minutes. And when you're riding it, that is full speed. They can't go any faster. We also saw two other interesting things about the car. So the one was we did ask if the spacer cars, and that's exactly what some of them are there for, uh, contain the original audio equipment. And she did confirm that it did contain the original audio equipment. And we also saw a spacer car that has a canvas covering with zippers on it. And, and that has small seats that a maintenance worker can, can sit on and ride and also contains a number of different tools and things that they need um, to do to do uh, different maintenance on the ride, which I thought was neat. And I had never seen that car before in all the times that uh, I had been on the attraction, so it was really neat. Um, yeah, we did see every car. Yes, we did. We, we walked the whole thing. <laughs> um, the other interesting thing is that it's registered in the state of Florida as a roller coaster because it has the, the um, uh, pressurized roller coaster track if you will even though it goes very very slow um to disney it's an omnimover but to the uh, 
to the Florida State, it is a, officially a roller coaster. So, um, so we moved into the the Phoenicians, and and I, I as we're walking through some of the Cro Magnon scenes and everything, I, I I heard one one woman go, "They're a lot creepier when they're not moving," <laughs> which is which is kind of true. That was me. That Tom. was you. Okay, yeah, <laughs> in your in your in your female voice. Actually, JT yeah. found something neat in the Egyptian scene. So like where the river is, he's like, "Hey, how come they put camouflage down?" on this one thing but in the dark it actually looks like a moving river that's and, cool yeah that's cool and it was really neat to see this stuff with the work lights on because well first of all you realize how much dirt and crap there is on some of the scenes and the, the black tarps or you know everything is painted so black so 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 it's really interesting how much junk there is that accumulates and um, i got to see in the egyptian scene it's like where that audio animatronic figure is missing that used to be up on the oh, column yeah. like making the, the the hole is still there uh where he used to have the chisel piece in like moving up and down so it's it's totally just god <laughs> and what, what, who which was... which also led to speculation from how about where that figure may have ended up right yeah yes. or it, it yeah, well, we'll get to it's we'll either him there. or I'm wondering if it was one of these the one of the missing Islamic scholars is right. now uh, in a different position. So, um, and we learned was it James Buchanan is the is the additional standing not Pharaoh but the helper of the Pharaoh I believe is is James Buchanan with a little uh, eye makeup on I believe that's the president that was was raised. it a Taft no. or maybe it was Taft. I don't recall. It's a president. Yeah. It's a president. <laughs> so the standing, the, the standing assistant to the pharaoh is actually a president, uh, reimagined, if you will, with with eyeliner and such. Uh, so we continue to walk up, and and also at this point, when you're walking through Spaceship Earth and with the lights on, it's very easy to see where you're going, and there are no steps at this point. It is just a a carpeted path with the sensors in it. Um, so if anybody gets gets off the ride, it automatically shuts it down, um, which they tell happens about uh, what you say once a day. It's, it's, it's on average how, how often it happens um, and they send somebody up from the center and they send somebody up from the bottom and they meet in the middle and and take the uh, flush them out the perpetrator out um, but it is carpeted so it's very nice easy easy footing to walk around um, so we came up to the Phoenician merchants um, which is kind of neat when you see the boats not rocking um, which was neat and then we came up to the Greek uh, the Greek city area where um, we're talking about um, uh, what is it? The students there are, are listening to the to the professor, if you will. Oh, she did tell us one interesting thing about the Phoenician merchants. So the the main merchant with the beard is voiced by Joe Rody. Oh, that's right. Yes, which I yeah. thought was exactly. Um, so in the in the scene that used to be the Greek theater, that is now the the professor and the students. Um, a couple interesting anecdotes there is that um, she first told us why. Um, why it smells like crayons, and that's some of the fluid that is used in inside of the audio animatronics. So you might smell a little crayon smell if they're if they're leaking. Um, the other interesting thing is, is that in that scene, the student on the far or closest to the um, to the to the to the ride vehicles has a cape on, and apparently, this is what actually caused the ban of selfie sticks uh, at Walt Disney World was due to a group of cheerleaders, I believe she said, had the selfie stick out. It That's caught, what she said, yeah. Yeah, yes. caught on the cape and ripped the whole thing off and uh no more no more selfie stick uh yeah after that. And that animatronic, if you look closely down at the ground, it is white. You could see the uh the fluid, which they said is what, reddish mm. orange. You could see some staining of that uh that cloak yeah. or whatever dress 
down there on the ground because at one point it leaked and I guess it's clean enough. I've never noticed it till the lights right, were right. on. So. And he has no toes. They're flat feet. The toes are actually painted, which I yeah. thought was neat to give the, the, the impression of, of the depth. So then we come to the Rome scene. Boy, did we learn something interesting here. Huh? This is the moment everybody's been waiting for. That's this right. Groundbreaking, so, breaking news here. So first of all, there's there was an interesting anecdote to add to this is that at the end of this day was the very last day of Siemens sponsorship. And they have been bringing through new potential sponsors that walk the ride and see what's there and see what's not there or what's been left over. We're going to talk a little bit about the leftovers in a bit. So the question came up, what happened to the Roman chariot that used to come out? And she turned us around and she says up there, it's covered with a piece of tape. So the Roman chariot guy is actually still there. The animation is ready to go. She did couldn't confirm whether or not the projector is actually running, but the projector hole is just covered with a piece of tape, which I'm hoping that somebody uncovers that or the next one to come through wants to, wants to have but that back. No, knowing what we know of <laughs> Disney attractions, the projection is probably still running back there. Yep. Unbroken for the last 10 she years. She did say... All they need to do, do you is the rip it off. She That's said right. why they turned it off. Yeah, go ahead. They Jason. said it was creeping out kids. That's, which I, I mean, okay, it is white, it is kind of ghosty looking, but it really wasn't. I don't know. Even I remember that. That what didn't scare me as a kid. It just drove by. I mean, yep. These yeah. kids need to toughen up. Gosh. <laughs> Ruining our attractions. So as we as we get into the fall of Rome, if uh, next time you're going through the attraction, you're obviously the car turns to the left a little bit and you see the, the burning embers, which is completely black when the lights are off. You can't really make out any definition of anything. Turn to your right and you'll see a hole in the wall. And that's where the smellitzer is, uh, which pumps that smell into and into the scene. Do you remember where she said it was from? I remember it was, it's an oil. This was was this the one she said was from Horizons? Yeah, that's we, that's so the one. Like, What's that? Right. Oh, that's from? right. And she goes, "That's the Smellitzer," and she goes, "That's the one from Horizons." Right, because their other one broke, and they had to had to replace it or something. So, Horizons is still living in Spaceship Earth. Um, there's some giant vents on the on the ceiling that you really probably can't see, but if you look up, you might be able to see these two big square vents that actually suck the the smell and the the oil up. Um, and, and, and toss it outside and get rid of it uh, so that way they don't have the smoke. But I don't know. I can always smell it underneath Spaceship Earth. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, we could smell it in the elevator shaft too. <laughs> just... As soon as we got in the elevator, it's like, oh, someone's like a room in here. How that was you with the firework embers still burning on you. My <laughs> wow. hair was on fire. Okay. So we also learned that Michelangelo is, is ambidextrous apparently with painting, that they said he could paint with his left and his right arm. So but they have him painting with the arm that they have because he's painting a nude statue and the moving hand covers the private areas of the person he's painting. Exactly. Which I think it was Adam, right? So we, we walk around the corner there and we get to the, you know, post Civil War era and um, where the printing presses and the giant steam press. And we actually learned that that steam press, uh, well, they know it's broken and they want to get it working again. And you, if you look up on the ceiling, you can see that the steam has really taken its toll on the on some of the ceiling but she said when it runs correctly it, it won't have that problem um but it is an actual steam press machine from from the the 1800s and it's one of only two true antiques um that are in the ride we'll talk about the other one in a little bit 
um, which was so you know that was weird because we were told that it was reproduced based on drawings but Mm. it wasn't like an actual antique so i well we're gonna have to try and get to the bottom of it yeah we gotta we're only reporting what we have here folks yeah basically she (laughs) said it's not working because they can't give parts for it that's the that's the reason right and they would have to make a make a part for it um and we get to our little our little friend the newsboy extra extra so uh yeah, JT, you want to tell him why they um, moved them? Well, yeah, he, he was always facing the ride vehicle, right? Okay. Um, yep. Well, Originally, so we yep. said, uh, what's going on? Where is he, you know, faceless? Has he been disfigured? What's the reason? She said uh, they moved him because everybody was trying to grab his papers. That was the reason. So they moved him <laughs> back there in the corner, which I felt like was an extreme jump. I mean, they could have moved him three feet back and nobody could get a paper. The the other thing she said that I mean that was the main reason, but the secondary reason from a design standpoint ah, yes. as to why they put him where they put him, she told us was because they didn't want him to be the focal point of everyone's attention yes. in the scene. And with him facing the car yeah. yelling at you, everybody tended to stare at the boy and not the giant working steam press or anything else going so, on. So around the them. million dollar question is uh his his face is still there he has a scratch on it she yep. said but his face is still there That's he's right. a, whole, a whole real boy back there selling papers to the the, <laughs> the alley and i think she implied that that that, that had that, that that alley area had been repainted or something i don't know how i don't recall that but she said they kind of tried to expand out the way that it felt too um so in the telegraph scene that's on your right hand side we know that they're um the, uh, the the message being relayed is about promontory point uh, everything you know the, the golden spike being laid um and she said everything in there is period accurate except for one thing and she lifts open a basket on the right hand side and reaches down and pulls out yeah <laughs> that is in there to to call back downstairs if they need to if their walkie-talkies aren't aren't working or anything like that or into that bathroom on the fourth floor that's so right. don't flush don't it flush. doesn't <laughs> smell like rome burning down um, here that's that's right, and also too, I forget if it was it was that scene. I think also down in the scholar scene too that the um, the back wall can be taken out um, to, in order to uh, to help expedite any type of um, evacuation. Evac, so, yeah, yeah, that needs to be done. It was it was really neat to see that. So that was that was cool. So we move up uh, in, into a little more of the uh, current. Um, I shouldn't say current, but we move up into. The telephone error and um now we had reported on our episode that the telephone switchboard was actually um original and um and, and, and it's, she said that they got it from at&t but it was actually a reproduction so which was interesting did she um, say at&t she, though, also, I feel like she said another company like ibm or oh i be maybe well maybe it was she IBM, said somebody that wasn't she yeah, said ibm accidentally company. Okay. Um, and she did also right. note that the microphone in the news or the uh, the radio booth originally said WDE. They blacked out the E to look like an I. That's why the I looks off center. WDP. Was well, it WDP? That's right. And then, yeah. Yep. And then they it. changed it to WDI. Yep. So, so the I is off center because it was actually the base. Of Got it. it. Yep. They never and repainted the, it or anything. So just a little, and the little tick. Ticket booth lady is from uh, the Magic Kingdom. She right. Yeah, I don't believe that. I know you don't believe it. How <laughs> called that. her out? So she, her claim is, so her claim was that they swapped uh, two of the audio animatron. Well, they weren't even really on it. They were props. Two two prop characters that were up in the top that the guys that were fixing the satellite 
that they went to Space Mountain and then in return they got the ticket booth lady from the Main Street Cinema uh, to put inside of the booth there. But I don't believe that because, for one, that ticket booth lady was actually in the Main Street Cinema ticket booth uh, for years um, afterwards, unless unless it was a different one for some reason. Um, I think her name was Suzanne, so I, I, unless the swap happened somewhere before. Well, she used to have the name tag, JT, <laughs> and I said Suzanne, so... Uh, but then I actually saw a picture when they removed the whole ticket booth out of out of the cinema, which is perhaps why there's this thought. It's like I have seen a picture of it like in a warehouse and the lady is still inside oh. of the ticket booth. So I'm I'm saying that's I'm going to call misinformation on that. one. OK, uh, fair enough. And she did also mention that the radio announcer is half. He doesn't have legs, which makes which, makes which would make sense. Yeah, complete sense. Um, so as we come up to one of Brian's favorite scenes, actually, right? The television broadcast of Apollo 11 in, in the 1969 home. Um, we started to ask some questions about who is authorized to move the records. So, uh, Brian, you want to, I know you like that. You've talked about it before. You the, can the answer is they are. The, the, uh, the engineering or the leads that uh, do the walkthroughs at the end of the night are allowed to... It's the, one of the few things in the ride they're allowed to touch. So I know we touched on our episode about Spaceship Earth, about them rotating, and uh, that is why. Occasionally, uh, one of the folks will go in there while they're doing their walkthrough and shift which record is up front, mm-hmm. provided that they're all historically accurate uh, with the time period. And, of course, I pointed out on our episode that the one album they've had there, the Beatles' greatest hits, didn't come out until 1982, so it couldn't be in the 1969 uh, moon landing scene that, right. that's on television, but uh, we did find out the TV there mm-hmm. is uh, the other operating antique in the ride, and uh, they got it from eBay. That's right. When the last one that they had <laughs> in there broke, I'll tell you what. There's a Twitter handle ready to pop the the updated records showing on the outside. That's somebody updating that because what was in yeah. there? Do you remember? Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Was there, yeah. Pinocchio, yeah. I asked her too. I said, "Do you have a selection to choose from?" She says, "Yeah, we got a stack that we that we can choose from." She also mentioned that the National Geographic. She has gone up there and inspected them, and they're they're not all historically accurate, but obviously you wouldn't be able to tell from the distance. So there are 1980s in there if you could get up close enough to read the spines. Yeah, and and across the way is the the rehab scene from 2007, which is the scientists mm-hmm. and the computer data scene, and she told us that all of the um, the magnetic tape holders, the, all the, the real covers that are along the wall have different dates of significance and things written on them that are uh, homages to the parks or to people from the parks. Little Easter eggs. And in that scene there, too, there's the two other items that they can touch. There's two open books, um, one down on the far right. Uh, that book there is uh, for anybody who is being trained to sign. Uh, and then the official le- ride leads sign the book that's uh, right next to uh, the computer woman that's on the on the desk right there. That's the the lead book. All right. So as we we go in here, uh, we pass the uh, was it a it's not a Pinto. What was the what was the car that's on? the She left said it side? was a Chevelle. It's actually a Vega. It's a Chevy Vega, made it's in Ohio, Vega. by okay. the way. Oh, there we go. Uh, and she mentioned they took it all apart. She believes the only thing in it that's not, or anything that's not in it, is the transmission. I don't know why you plugged the engine. <laughs> this up makes there, no but. sense. 
I'll no, add makes one, no sense one more all, fact <laughs> about that car. The project lead on that was John DeLorean. So, yeah. Oh, look at that. Look at that. So um, we we finish that up and, and, and we see the what everybody tries to think is, is the likeness of Steve Jobs. But uh, she did confirm with us that it's the likeness of Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak and Bill Gates. Uh, I don't care who it's supposed to be. He's creepy. He needs to move. So we walk through the old what's left of the speed tunnel and we get up to the top. Um, now, two things up here, guys, we're going to we're going to talk about, you know, we've talked about before how people said that it's supposed to, if you look carefully, you can still see the cutouts that make it look like the moon and all that. After seeing it with the work lights on and after knowing that the track was going to be laid and you were going to go up and make another third, maybe turn a third away around before descending. Um I tend to believe that those cutouts are just there to to block all the work view and block all the other storage that they have up there. Um, I, I I think that show scene was was you know I don't think anything up there is remainder because they never laid the track for the final the final scene. Um, so if you're interested, folks, you can certainly see when you're standing there with the work lights on that the track makes an abrupt turn to the right to go back down to earth, if you will. Um, but further down, you can see the continual ramp up. And she pointed out these bricks or these these moorings, which is where the actual track was going to continue. So the ride is a bit shorter than it than it should have been. But I'm curious to know what your comments are on on what you saw up there. A um, lot of lot of equipment, definitely. Like when you go roll by and you see that the the moon, the the, the infamous moon walls and props. There is all kinds of junk there. That's which I was kind of yeah. Uh, so much ma- maintenance. Uh, racks, paint cans, scissor lifts. I mean, anything you can think of is all there just over the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I don't know. I, I, you know, we don't know the true history of of what went on up there in terms of ending the the final scene, but it, I don't know. It doesn't, those, those walls curve around to the exit. I don't believe that they were ever there to simulate the moon surface. She did, she did say sometimes the earth is backwards with the projection and she said if it is, let them know know. because it sometimes gets flipped. And then, uh, gosh, there was one more thing. Oh, she did talk about the, uh, when we hit on the Mickey up on top of Spaceship Earth, she did mention the, the, the the scaffolding is blocked off. Nobody can go to it and basically like it doesn't ever happen. Yeah, no one's going up there, and they did, in fact, have to walk up to the very top. They had to walk about 20 feet from where that scissor lift goes. It was not a hatch, um, according to that. Well, the hatch is there. The hatch is right. just Off. on the incline and not actually at the tippy top. Exactly, exactly, yep. So we started to descend um, and, and go down through the center, and this is, I think, it really got interesting as we started to take the first spiral and down. We, 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 yeah, we should mention at this point, the path which at this point had all been a ramp basically now becomes just steps we are walking down flights and flights of stairs right and there's a landing every 10 steps if you will small landing to make it a little easier to Um, make it to make you break your neck on the way down that's right and we go through the first scene which has all those hanging lights I don't know about you guys I was impressed at how long those lights were I always thought it was a trick of mirrors I did too but it is those are impressively long. Are they like the eight, ten feet? Some of them. I and, think longer than that. Twenty feet. And they're like uh, an LED, literally. Like there's no like mirror. I mean, they're literally just big plastic sticks hanging down with an LED every foot. Yeah, perfectly aligned. Mm-hmm. And there we saw blacked out 
the space yeah. station. The space station. It's still Oops. there. We can confirm we saw it with our own eyes. Looks like somebody took a couple cans of Krylon. Go away black. <laughs> but I'll tell you, <laughs> e- even with the lights on, it's hard to make out how blacked out they have it. Yeah. You know, it just blends in with everything else. Yeah, I, I think it's very, very, very difficult to see. Um, so as we descended, she started to tell us about things that were there before, uh, obviously the, the fiber optics and Tomorrow's Child and um, all the items that were added during, what was it, the 2007 refurb? Yeah, those are all there. Uh, there's a part of a scrim that has fallen down and we were able to peek in there uh, and take a look. You can still see some of the characters, not the characters, but the figures that were in those scenes. You can make out the city. You can make out um, a lot of the different things. So potentially if a new sponsor comes in there, they're going to take a a good look at the ride and see what's been turned off and what's not being used and make decisions how to use that space and how to change the ride to to fit their needs and their sponsorship. So um, that stuff is still there. Maybe we'll see them again. Maybe we'll see something new. Um, and the last little bit I thought was interesting. She said a lot of the audio animatronics that were in the ride that um, aren't there anymore or haven't been repurposed. Um, uh, what they say they were but they were behind a wall there, right? And there was a piece of plywood separating them. She couldn't take us up there, but she assured us that some of them were still uh, resting. Show story. scenes, and there was a cityscape background that was easy to know to look at. So we we finished the walking tour down at the end and. Um, right in the exit and uh, we turned in our safety key and, and walked down uh, and the D23 team was there and presented us with a, uh, a nice canvas print of Spaceship Earth under construction, uh, being able to see right through it and see the spiral we had just walked uh, during sunset. So it was a really nice, nice little gift. Um, and that's the point when we went to the bathrooms and found out all the fireworks stains on our arms. <laughs> but um, anything else to add, guys? I It was... I mean, once in a lifetime experience. Once in a lifetime experience to go up there, right? I mean, it just, just, I don't know. It was, yeah, it was mind boggling. I mean, as as if the whole dinner thing and just going to all the corporate lounges wasn't enough, which I was going to be perfectly fine with. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, good, I get to go to, like, that was definitely the icing on the cake. That is something I will never forget. Yeah. None of us, none of us speculated that we'd actually get to go into that ride. Right. I think we talked about American Adventure. We talked about maybe being brought into the universe of energy to see what was the left. dinosaur <laughs> scene if it hadn't been deconstructed yet or something. But getting to walk that ride path was. You know, it's just and having done it, don't ever think this is an experience they're going to offer to anybody because it like it was treacherous at points. Yeah, I I did ask one of the D23 folks, I said, how many strings do you have to pull? And he said, quite a few. We were surprised we got it. He says we ask for a lot of different things and sometimes it doesn't happen and sometimes the stars align. And he says this time it happened to align and we were able to do it. Um, So, you know, and if I, I was thinking, guys, too, if there's any attraction that I would want to walk in all of Walt Disney World and see. Um, I, I still want to swim through pirates. I mean, that's always on the bucket list. But uh, Lazy River through pirates. Yeah, Lazy Sunday River through tube. pirates. Exactly. Just give me a Typhoon Lagoon tube and let me float. But um, I, this would be the one I would pick. So, um, you know, super, super big thank you to D23 and all the folks there that that made it happen. And thank you very much to our tour guide, Allie. She was she was awesome. So big, yep. big nod to her for, for taking us through. 
And we hope that you've enjoyed our description and sending you felt like you were there. Yeah. So if you have any other questions. And we weren't allowed to take pictures, by the way. That's right. So that's why you don't see yeah. any close-ups of the animatronics or anything. Yeah. No pictures, no video, nothing. We were not only where we escorted by Allie, but we had somebody behind us as well. Uh, her name escapes me at the moment, but... Uh, she was a trainee. She was a, yeah, she had just been dubbed or, you know, knighted or whatever. And I'm not sure she could talk because I don't remember hearing her utter a syllable all <laughs> that's, night. That's true. Other than waving a lot. I do um, remember Wayne, our key guy. He held our IDs. That's that right. Wayne? Yeah. Yes, yeah, Wayne that was, was awesome. Wayne. Held all of our safety keys. He was the key there. master. Yep. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, virtual walkthrough of Spaceship Earth. And uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, you know, taking a look back at uh, what went on over the weekend. If you were able to join us, thank you very, very much for our, for your continued support. We really enjoyed having you there, and um, you know, as always, thanks to our listeners uh, for for listening in. So again, uh, if you're interested in, in helping support Retro WDW, obviously, as always, you can support us by uh, purchasing some of our merchandise and, and custom tees at retrowdw.com forward slash support us. Uh, and also, as we mentioned in this episode, we have the um, additional donor uh, uh, fundraiser event going on. So if you head to rate to retrowww.com and then the upper right, click on donor box and you can donate uh, a variety of different amounts and you'll receive a thank you gift um, for, for donating to help keep us on the air and uh, keep these films coming and also be able to put on bigger and bigger events for you. I know we've already got an idea for the next one. We're not going to give any hints, but uh, we're already thinking about it, and uh, the gears are in motion. So uh, we can't wait to bring that to you. So with that said, anything else, guys, before we, we wrap it up? This is kind of a long in-between episode, but we certainly had so much to say. We wanted to bring it to, to all of our listeners. Hi. Big thanks to everybody that showed up. Big thanks to the listeners. It was nice to meet everybody. Uh, it was super awesome. Good weekend. Yep. Absolutely. We'll see you in a few weeks with another full episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out what we're doing. We're still decompressing. <laughs> so with that, as always, appreciate your listening. Give us a shout-out on iTunes or Google Play or wherever review system you use. That'd be great. If you need to reach us, please tweet at us. Send any emails or questions and comments to podcast at retrowww.com. And with that, we'll see you in a few weeks. And uh, Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen and on the web at kingdomofmemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at rubbercitymotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles.